This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Eric Esfahanian. He is the CRO at a company called Griffin Networks, a Boston-based SaaS company that specializes in driving phone-based sales effectiveness for large distributed sales teams. With over 30 design and process patents covering every aspect of advanced telephony, Griffin accounts ADT, Sprint, Santander, and New York Life among over 700 enterprise clients. Eric, are you ready to take us to the top? I am, Nathan. All right. Thank you. Good. So give us context first. Obviously, you're not the founder. You're not the CEO. You're the CRO. I assume that's chief revenue officer. How did you get in touch with the founders and why did you join? Well, um, I was uh, I met the original founder uh, at a, an airport security uh, line in uh, Toronto International Airport. Uh, and he was wearing a uh, windbreaker from a town nearby where I lived. We struck up a conversation and long story short, he said, hey, come down and talk to me about uh, this, this company that I run, and we're looking to do some really interesting things around uh, business intelligence. At the time, I was working for uh, a small startup out of Connecticut, and it was, it was time for me to, to take, another, take another shot. And I was always very interested in business intelligence, performance management software, that space. Uh, because of my background, I said, you know, let's go, let's go talk. And about six months of conversations and meetings uh, resulted in me uh, joining on board around tw- 2011. And when was the company founded? The company was founded, believe it or not, in 1998. Uh, we were a SaaS company before there were SaaS companies. Um, we were um, uh, way ahead of the curve. We developed a little application that would ensure a do not call compliance for branch uh, bank branches and uh, insurance brokers and stock brokers, people who weren't in sort of a call center environment. You know, we developed an app for them to call through so that we would block call numbers if they happened to be illegal. Now, at that time, in 98, 99, there wasn't a federal do not call list yet, but some of the states had begun introducing legislation around uh, restricting calls and solicitations to phone numbers. And obviously, that really took off in the early 2000s. And what's your current business model? How do you, how do you make money? We uh, still offer a SaaS service. It is an uh, advanced te- telephony platform that both captures, collects all phone-related activity for reps who happen to be calling from any device. These can be reps in an office. They can be reps out in the field. They can be reps uh, at home uh, and everything in between. From the kiosk to the call center, we capture and aggregate all that activity that every rep conducts, and we process it in real time and give management uh, insights into the behaviors that get results, the behaviors that you want to obviously multiply as you as you improve your organization and obviously the the behaviors that you want to root out and replace in order to drive overall sales effectiveness for reps calling from any device any phone anywhere and then we also have a significant portion of our business that's focused still on that compliance because now there's hundreds and hundreds of rules and laws regarding 
who you can contact and when and, and which device. And it's a, it's a complete labyrinth for a lot of large companies. Uh, we solve and make that process as simple and uh, risk free as possible. So just to be clear on the sales efficiency side. So this is something like you can go and say, listen, your number one salesperson that just killed their quota. They always use the word price in the first two minutes, the people not hitting quota, they don't use it till the last minute of the call, you should train those people who are underperforming just to talk about price earlier. Yeah, I mean, you're you're looking sort of a couple steps down the down the uh, stream a little bit, you know, the first question you want to ask is how many how many calls do you want your average reps to be making? And now these aren't necessarily reps that are on the phone all day long, like a call center. These are reps that in many cases have other parts of their job that don't involve outreach. Uh, okay. So, so just to be clear, you're not doing intelligence with the voice data. You're literally just measuring like time of day of the phone call, how many phone calls, things like that. No, we're doing both. We're okay. doing both. So, so what are you doing on the voice data? To, on the voice data, we capture all the audio of every conversation and we run it through a speech analytics engine, and we provide a dashboard for managers to get both quantitative, that what you were just referring to, calls, contacts, uh, outcomes of the calls, and then qualitative, which is the conversational indicators, the phrases and words that are either used or omitted that are getting results or not getting results. Oh, I thought you told me the example I just gave was something you don't do. It's too, it's, you said it's far down where you're going, but you are providing recommendations like that. Yeah, what, yeah, what I meant, and I apologize for the confusion, what I meant was a lot of our clients at the very baseline when we start talking to them, they don't even know how many calls are being made by their reps. They, if they guess, they usually over, they overestimate how many calls are being made. They don't know how many calls it takes to get somebody on the phone. They don't know how many conversations it takes to get a, a desired outcome. So they don't even know the basic stuff. So what we do is we train them to start with getting your arms around that activity to get a benchmark of, of what's going on. And then once you get familiar with that and you begin to start tweaking and optimizing your sales team based on this accurate data, then you're going to naturally want, want to start digging a little deeper and going into, okay, I know that Eric's a very good rep. I know that he knows how to get appointments. What is he doing on the phone? How are customers responding? How is he handling objections? Or how is he asking for referrals? Because I got a new hire class coming in. And I want to be able to give them examples of what success sounds like. Got it. Now, how do you price? So, so what's your price at your SaaS-based pricing model based on? It's based on per user per month. And the user is defined by a rep that would be calling through the system. Um, reps are issued what we call universal access. And what that means is that we give them a way to make phone calls and receive phone calls from any device, anywhere, whether they're at the office. Because a lot of our clients have uh, reps that, are, that aren't in one place all the time. Maybe they're working from home. Maybe they're, they're at the airport or in the car, and then they're in, in an office or, or several offices. With Griffin, it doesn't matter where they are. They can make calls anyway, and then we roll up all that activity in a consolidated view for managers. Okay, and then give me like a, just a high-level sense here. So the average per seat like per month is what? What's the average seat cost? For our list price uh, out of the gate is $40 per month. Okay, good. So that'll be a good, and that's a good minimum. Set up the correct one. Yeah. Okay. And, and then obviously it goes up or down based on some of the features that you uh, deploy. Yep. Yep. Now give me some more of the backstory here. Now that I understand the business and the pricing model. So founded in 1998, you recently joined. Is the company bootstrapped or have you guys raised capital? Oh, uh, we had one capital round uh, in 2010, but uh, we are you know, majority controlled uh, local board of directors here. Uh, what I like to say is we're, we're in control of our own destiny. That's good. Well, what's total funding into the company though? What was that 2010 around? Mm, I want to say around 10 million. Okay. That was, it sounds like that was right before you joined, right? 
Yeah, that was actually the year before I joined. Okay, and then where are you guys today in terms of uh, in terms of team size? Um, around sixty employees. Okay, and and where's so where are you guys based? Small. Hey, I like small. Uh, Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> small, yeah, small, small can I mean, be good. Yeah, right there, right downtown Boston, where a good portion of our clients happen to reside as well. Yeah, like Milk Street area. Yep, you got it. That's I'm awesome. Looking at Milk Street right now. Oh, that's funny. That's good. I actually have friends on Milk Street. That's good stuff. All right, so sixty folks based up there in Boston. Again, you joined in 2011, raised 10 million in 20, uh, 2010. and then why? I mean, so, so from your perspective, why join a startup many many years after it's launched? If you're going to take a startup risk, why not go start your own thing from scratch? Ah, fantastic, fantastic question. Because we are a unique culture here. We have very much a startup culture. We're very entrepreneurial here. What we're doing is really innovative and unique. But we also have a stable, secure business that is profitable that we use to basically invest in all of our growth and all of our innovation. So I was struck by a very simple idea when I was first starting to talk to the founder all those years ago this idea of uh, capturing activity for sales reps uh, from different devices. I was familiar with the boiler rooms, and obviously everybody knows about call centers, but all I could think about was I always spent uh, about eight years at Hewlett Packard's uh, in the enterprise group. And at one point, I was a manager, and I had 30 sales reps all across the country. Now, I was in an office in Boston, and they were all in home offices everywhere all across the country. And I really, I lived the struggle of not understanding or knowing what these folks were doing. I had no idea. I mean, we were begging them to update CRM, which would almost never happen. You know, we had the weekly con calls, uh, which always ended up going fairly well without incident. And then we had uh, pipeline reports. And that's really how we managed uh, these reps. And I realized how inefficient that is and how, why, why don't you have access to this level of uh, activity? Why don't you have visibility to what your reps are doing every day. You're, you're paying them. You're, they're representing your, your company and your brand. And that data, that interaction data is your asset. You're either using it or you're wasting it. And it was just such a simple idea that I knew would resonate because most companies, after people moved out of the boiler rooms, ended up with nothing more than CRM to rely on. And the CRM activity data is always maybe 40, 45% accurate at best. So I saw a real opportunity here. And with Griffin, we had a large client base of you know, Fortune 50 companies that were using us for compliance and didn't really know anything about this other side of the, of the equation here. So I saw the opportunity was too good to pass up. Now, now what are you at today in terms of total businesses using you guys? We have over 700 clients. Okay. Uh, you know, I'd say probably about 50 or so are the ones that are um, our largest. Yep. And on those 700 clients, I mean, I mentioned some of them in the introduction, but on average, like how many sales reps are each of them like under their each umbrella? Well, we generally... Our sweet spot is generally between, I would say, a thousand and ten thousand. Oh wow! Okay. We, we, yeah, we have as many as we have as many as twenty thousand, um, and as few as obviously, you know, fifty, a hundred. Uh, but we do focus at the top of the market because that's also, you know, when you realize that when you go to a very large sales organization, there's so much slack, there's so much inefficiency, it's staggering. A, a half a percent improvement at one of my clients in in average rep sales effectiveness, as defined by conversation to appointment sets, a half a percent means $12 million a month in net new revenue based on all their conversion models. So large sales teams are so perfect for a tool like this because you have so many quick wins. Um, in, in two weeks, you pay for what you pay Griffin in a year. 
Okay, Top Tribe, many of you ask me all the time, how did I get my website up so fast, so quickly, and why is it doing so well? The answer is simple. I use HostGator.com to keep the thing cranking along. They've got a 45-day money-back guarantee, which is great. I used their free website builder to get the site up because it's ideal for WordPress. It's just what I use. They've got 4,500 templates and a free e-commerce plugin as well and 24-7 support, which we love, right? We love that. I bug the hell out of them. They always get back to me. So I've got you 30% off along with $100 in free AdWords credit. To grab it, just go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan, but you got to do it now. Again, HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Now, I'm, Eric, I'm doing some of my math, something wrong here, because I think that this number is way too high. But if you have 700 customers, minimum a 1,000 seats per customer, that's what it, I think it's like 700,000 seats or something. No, 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 that's, no, that's not correct. I'm saying we have from our top customers, which is that you know, 30 to 50. Oh, that's give me where the range comes. Give in. me just an average. So of seven, what are they signing up like 100 or something on 700? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even know. Okay. Well, why, so why don't, why, I mean, you're neglecting 650 of your customers. If you're only focused on 50 of them, why, why don't you focus on the 650? Because we go where the opportunity happens to be. And like I said, the, the bigger ones are the ones that are, uh, have the most pain. And in many cases it takes just as long, uh, with the big ones as it does with the small ones. But how do you accurately, uh, calculate? I mean, if you look at some of the 650 clients you have, I imagine that's a land and expand strategy. They get one sales rep and before you know it, they're up at a thousand. So how do you still cater to those folks? Cause they could in expansion revenue, you know, become your biggest customers. Yeah, it's, that's true. And we do have uh, efforts to uh, work with those folks. Uh, but we also have efforts to target uh, other big guys within our target industries that aren't customers yet at all. Got it. And what percentage of the 60 people you have on your team right now, how many are just focused on outbound sales like that going after those big guys? About 10. Oh, about 10. Okay. That's pretty, that's pretty significant actually for a team size of 60. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and we, and the beauty is, is we do focus on the top of the market uh, for the most part. So it's not as expensive for us. You know, we're not raising a ton of money. We're not the most buzzworthy company who just, you know, raise their third or fourth or fifth round. Uh, but we are profitable and we are stable and we are doing what we do at a very high level. You know, telephony is nothing you can play games with. You know, our, our product doesn't work. Uh, our clients send employees home and it costs, the, the impact is in the millions of dollars. There's not a whole lot of players out there in the space that we play in the sales effectiveness space with the telephony component that can really deliver a tier one carrier grade experience 100% of the time. So when you get into that space, yeah, I mean, I think you've got like players. tenfold in chorus kind of, kind of, you know, new startups in this space that I think are scaling pretty fast into that kind of enterprise yeah, they space. Are. They are, they are, and they're, and they're sort of smaller moving up and we take it, we take it from a sort of top down approach just because we had that luxury. Cause we had a lot of these clients as, the compliance. as uh, compliance customers, we already had an MSA with them. So we did have a, uh, an advantage right out of the gate. Yeah. Well, not look, and I, I'm good. I was going to say when you're selling, but we're selling to two different worlds here. You know, you're, you can be the best friend of the compliance officer, but that doesn't mean the, the head of sales is going to give you the time of day. In fact, it probably means they, they won't. So we had to fight a lot of those early cultural battles between these two departments within our client base because they, weren't, they were adversarial to one another. 
and we're coming in as the bridge builders. It was actually pretty funny. Yeah, no, I, I and look, I'm just you know going to look at just your enterprise customers here. You say you have 50 of them, and, and assume that that thousand seats there. I want to get a bottom on this. If I take 50 times a thousand, it's 50,000 seats, and you said they come out about 40 bucks a pop per month. I mean, you guys, true or false, are over two million bucks in MRR at this point, just multiplying your numbers. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound off. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I just, I'm putting, I think you're doing probably way more than that. Cause I'm only including 50 of your enterprise customers, but you said those are your most important. So that puts you, I mean, obviously yeah. ahead of chorus and, and tenfold. Yeah, we're, we're doing well and we got a lot of, uh, a lot of upside with our, with our clients and, uh, with our, our pipeline is, is huge. How, how do you measure things like lifetime value uh, and related to retention and CAC kind of in your space? Measure lifetime value. I mean, I can be more pointed. I can be more pointed with the question. A- annually, what is your, re- what is your retention uh, in terms of logos? Around 97, 98%. Oh, it's great. And that's not revenue retention. That's logo retention. That's yeah. Logo retention. Correct. Okay. And then are you guys uh, in terms of uh, revenue trend, are you in the net negative range already? Meaning your expansion revenue from your current base more than makes up than your logo, you know, retention. I mean, your logo churn. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The only challenge is when you have the logos we have, you lose a logo. It's a big hole. Right? Well, that's so why I asked. That's why we, we work very, very hard to make sure that we don't, you know, we don't have that happen. And if it's going to happen, you know, sometimes mergers and acquisitions happen and we can't control it a whole lot. We like to know as early as possible. And make sure that we're, uh, we're compensating on the other side of it. And when you add what you're spending monthly on Google ads, Facebook ads, kind of direct spend, plus all your sales team folks focused on sales and marketing, what's your fully weighted CAC look like for one of these enterprise customers? I couldn't tell you right now. What's it definitely below? I'm not sure. I'd have to check. Okay. I mean, but d- d- definitely below 300, 400 grand. I mean, just say something extraordinarily high. Sure. Definitely below that. Definitely below 400. Yeah. Okay. And how do you, how do you figure out, I mean, there, you can kind of have a hit list, right? When you're only going after fortune, you know, 500 or fortune 50, cause there's only 50 or a hundred or a thousand of them, depending on what you're going after. So how do you, how do you incentivize the sales team after that? Is it a typical structure where there's kind of the base plus comp if they go after those big logos? Yeah, of course. It's, it's one of those things where you have to, you, know, you have to have the right balance. Uh, we, we generally tend to have a strategy of bringing younger folks in and grooming them and promoting them from within because, you know, we like to, we like to bring on true believers and we, who are very, very bright and very, very talented and are, are completely uh, mission focused. And those people become the best evangelists for us. So we have a very generous compensation plan, um, no cap, uh, no ramp. It's dollar one in the door. And um, there, you know, you don't need to hit five home runs in a year. You need to hit one. And you need to hit a bunch of singles and doubles, uh, and you're doing very well. Last question here before we wrap up with the uh, the very easy, famous five. In terms of payback period on your CAC, what do you like to stay below? Payback period? Yeah, like you like to get your money back that you spent on acquiring customer in less than six months, less than twelve months, less than twenty months. Oh my gosh, less than less than a quarter. Okay, well, oh, it's that quick. Yes, yes. So, yeah, what we spend to acquire customers is uh, uh, you'd be surprised. Well, so then that would beg the question, why, if your payback is that quick, why not ramp growth faster? You can afford to do it. Yeah. Well, there's a number of factors that are, that are playing into that. I think that is part of the, uh, the near term, uh, game plan, but there's a lot of timing that has to, that has to fall in place. There's some new, uh, there's some new innovations, new products that are imminent. And there's a whole plan around doing exactly that. Great. All right, Eric, let's wrap up with the famous five. These are quick one word answers. Number one, what's your favorite business book? 
Uh, swim with sharks. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Elon Musk. Number uh, three, is there a fa- besides your own, is there a favorite online tool that you have? Uh, LinkedIn Navigator. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Try to keep it around seven. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Uh, married, two kids. And are they young ones? You get sleep or are they keeping yeah, you up? Well, yeah, getting older, 14 and 11. All right, that's pretty good. And how old are you? I am uh, 44. 44. Last question. Take us back 24 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? What I wish my 20-year-old self knew? Uh, not to take things to heart too much. Uh, not to be overly emotional and not to blow things out of proportion. I think at the end of the day, you keep put your head down and put one foot in front of the other and stay positive and not worry as much. And you know what? All good things happen. There you guys have it from Eric. Don't worry so much. His company that he's now working with, a CRO, was founded in 1998. They raised $10 million bucks in 2010. A year later, he joined in 2011 as Chief Revenue Officer. Again, a sales intelligent uh, and marketing platform for sales teams, specifically related to calling and voice data. They've got over 700 enterprise clients. 50 of those are really the bread and butter of most of their revenue. The average company, especially when they're in their enterprise range, are signing up a minimum of 1,000 seats each seat goes for about 40 bucks per month. Super healthy economics with our team of 60 up there in Boston. Eric, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you, buddy.